Welcome back to For Fintech's Sake, your somewhat trusted news source. Today, Lindsay Davis of Atomic Fame and myself are having our first news guest on. We have Eric Gleiman, CEO of Ramp, the corporate spend management startup that got from zero to $1.6 billion as far as valuation goes in about a year. Pretty wild ramp up in revenue, pretty wild ramp up in a lot of things. We're going to cover the announcement this week around Bill.com acquiring Divi. And now the news. Eric, welcome to For Fintech Sakes, sir. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely. It's a big week for you. And in addition to having you on here, it's news-ish number three. So we've got Lindsay Davis as well. Lindsay, how we doing? We're doing well, Zach. How are you? Oh, you know, another day in the life of the pandemic. I'm on the Millennium Falcon. Nobody can actually see what I'm talking about, but Eric appreciates it. So we're just going to keep going. Eric, who are you? What is Ramp? What, what is your life? Give us a little bit of a thumbnail sketch of you and kind of what you do every day. Sounds good. Um, so first, I, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Ramp, um, which is the first corporate card that is actually designed to help companies spend less. Um, sounds really simple and intuitive, um, but most credit cards are fundamentally designed with incentive programs and points to get you to spend more money and earn more points. We believe that business owners um, and finance teams actually want to spend less money, uh, go home earlier. And so have designed our software around this. I would think of it almost as a more sophisticated Amex meets um, in Expensify, you know, Bill.com, these, these kind of things. So um, uh, you, you can take a look at ramp.com and, and, and go from there. Um, at least for me, my background um, and what I do all day, I came from the savings world, um, started a company focused on savings, sold it to Capital One um, and anything related to um, you know, all things growth, capital markets, um, legal um, you know, is, is are, are things that I'll see on my side of the world and marketing. And Kareem, my co-founder, um, takes care of a lot of the rest. So happy to go deep into to that. You and your co-founder, Kareem, had previously co-founded Paribus together too, right? That's correct. So serial co-founders, which is very rare, similar to Atomic, where our co-founders previously founded a company called Unbill before rejoining. So at Ramp, when you guys spun out of cap one and started to get back together. So today you've raised about $320 million, if I got that correct, across equity and debt. That's right. Recently valued at 1.6 billion. That's right. So you guys are positioned to grow. Can you take us back to what happened at the onset of COVID and the pandemic? So, you know, corporate travel, totally not happening. And then also companies are, are buttoning down the hatches. Your, your core demographic initially was sort of the technology companies and the companies coming you know, into the market. They have maybe raised some cash, but again, going into a pandemic of you know, definite proportion, they're trying to cut their burn. So how did you guys navigate that? And then what did you see initially? Because obviously you're doing well now, but just take us back. Totally. No, and, and it's a, it's as a New York based startup. It, it was very, uh, you, you could feel it. We launched the company publicly in February of 2020. Um, a week later, half the office got sick. We, you can hear New York in my background. <laughs> exactly. It's uh, not an experience I would have wanted to share with everyone, uh, but three, three weeks later, we figured out what was going on with the whole city shut down and uh, got a sense of it. And so, Kind of the whole world we experienced was uh, we're in a pandemic, and it it, it was it was interesting. One, um, 
you know, we had to think long and hard about credit and underwriting before it was just grow as fast as possible. Now we had to really think about the fact that um, money that was putting out, you, you know, we had to think of, would that come back? Um, and um, it also changed our value. Our value prop is helping companies spend less, which prior to the pandemic was like, oh, cool idea. That sounds nice too. That actually might make the difference between um, who you can keep on payroll and whether or not a company makes it. And so in a strange way, um, it, it forced us to really think about a different kind of growth. And so we actually were very under the radar, spent very little on ads, um, instead um, tried to develop the best product, um, tried to be really careful on credit underwriting. Um, and so under the radar, because of that, we, we became the number one rated spend management software online. Um, we were in the end able to grow through a, a, a like high quality product and focus on savings. Revenue grew by 6,000% last year, but it wasn't through travel and entertainment. A lot of the growth actually was um, companies um, that were struggling with um, OPEX, SaaS payments, um, cost of manufacturing ads, um, you name it, um, ramp software that focused on um, finding savings as well as streamlining the accounting process is a big reason for why we grew so quickly. And so it actually um, was, you know, went from being quite scary to a huge blessing um, and uh, enabled us to grow quickly. I, one of the things that I was personally attracted to about Ramp when I first started analyzing it at CB Insights, having built the Challenger Bank playbook, was the no founder liability. I think that that's something that a lot of companies say that they do, but Ramp actually truly does. Because if you look at the way that you look, how they spend their money today, before you guys even try to partner with someone, you're like, okay, we can optimize your spend based on the exact card that you're using. Say you've got an Amex today, you can take that personal liability that a founder typically takes and and underwrite them before say they've even gone to market. Can you talk us through how do you guys do that? Like what kind of maybe like set of alternative data sets? Of course you have your proprietary algorithms, but you know, what makes you so confident and how do you sort of qualify the types of, of tech companies that you're you're looking to partner with, say pre-product market fit? Totally. It's um I, I think there there's a lot of people who look at this market outside in and they're like why why are all these credit cards popping up? What's happening now? And I think that people have, have talked about the story of, of Plaid and Finicity and Teller um, as this like very interesting story in, in, in underwriting in the consumer world. But actually it, it's meant that suddenly upstarts could have a sophisticated way to go and figure out how much limit to extend. In the older world, Amex needed to look at five years of credit history data. If you had a lot of data, um, you know, you could get a limit, but you had to personally get guarantee it with this, we could say, Hey, we don't, uh, we don't yet have true credit underwriting expertise, but you might have $5 million in cash there and we can underwrite the $5 million pile of cash. Um, and so it's probably reasonable that there will be $500,000 at least by next month, um, to go and, and pay this. And so that actually kickstarted our ability to go and say, we can underwrite your business properly. We don't need a lot of credit history in order to go do this and get businesses started. And so that no founder liability and the um, the, the ability to direct link to a customer's bank account. Some startups are now doing this with accounting data too. Really kickstarted the ability to go and start it. Uh, now it's much broader. Um, you know, one of our t- uh, largest customers is a farm. They make potatoes. Um, it's they've been around since the nineteen. 19- 30s and 40s, um, I, I believe. And so wow. it's definitely extended beyond, but just that um, original ability and that change in, in, in technology meant that um, even as a 
we're, we're just about two years old, um, just two years and two months almost um, as a company, um, have really in, in, like uh, in, uh, enhanced creditabilities. That's amazing. Let's let's get to the piece of uh, maybe the the two point five billion dollar elephant in the room uh, that was announced this week. The acquisition or the impending, I guess, is it impending? Is it official? I don't. I never know the way the PR folks phrase these things. They've uh, entered into a definitive agreement. A definitive agreement, quote unquote. Okay, so unpack what that actually means. For I am me. not a lawyer, former <laughs> auditor. But- well, ask the DOJ, what does that mean? <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like we've had some definitive agreements in fintech over the last couple of years that maybe haven't all shaken out. So, yeah, well, Eric, you could definitely help us unpack this deal a little bit since you're in the in the market and then maybe perhaps speculate on the likelihood of closure. You know, it is it is synergistic, as they would say, rather than competitive um, because they are both fintech companies rather than a, a payment rail, say, acquiring a, an aggregator to access off-rail payments, but I'm going to turn and, back over to Eric. And now I have to fine Lindsay for saying synergies on for fintech's sake. She's she's getting a, a $10 always, fine afterwards. It's, it's not allowed. Quote, end quote. All right. All right. All right. Eric, take it away. Help us understand this. Sure. It's uh uh, and so, so I think a couple things. One, I can only imagine how stressful it was over the last set of days as they were finalizing the definitive agreement. Maybe it was finalized, maybe it wasn't, but it had leaked. Um, it came out. And then last night um, with earnings, um, the full details were, were ultimately released. But ultimately, the companies have agreed um, they would like to merge. They intend to merge. The terms of the merger are set and agreed upon by all parties. And the hope is that they'll be closed um, by September 30th. And so it's, uh, um, you know, I, I think that they're working over the next three months um, or, or so to get it all closed out. Um, this sets off a lot of complexity. Um, you know, a, a Divi has 400 employees just about. Um, in some of the next phase, employees are going through and say, welcome to bill.com. Here's going to be your offers would you like to sign on? There's questions mm-hmm. about how things will come together. There's the legal elements of it. There's all the contracts to go and take over from one entity to others. There's just a lot of stuff to go through. And I, I think as, as you're getting at, there's also the um, Department of Justice re- re- review. On a per- I, I'm not a lawyer. I don't have any antitrust expertise. Um, this feels to me like pretty straightforward. Um, I, I don't think that either um, party truly has a monopolistic position or would, you know, really an- allow one to go and re- really take over a market, which is typically where these concerns are raised. And so I, I don't anticipate any issues to closing, but um, look, everyone seems pretty excited. It's an interesting mix of, of cash and stock and, um, you know, seems um, seems great. I- excited for, for at least on a personal level, um, everybody involved. I-, I can imagine it's a pretty cool feeling. That perspective makes me feel like this is maybe a gigantic market that more than one uh, one <laughs> winner can exist in. I mean, that was a very, very kind way of, of discussing a competitor getting acquired. So, so what do you think is the future of this, right? Is, is the market so big that it's whatever, just another one, you know, another one moves in a different direction, but there's so much here to do that, you know, you, you still have plenty of room to run or what's, what's your perspective on this whole thing? Yeah, I uh, to 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 go really direct, I would say like a thousand percent, right? Like I I, I think that um, 
Well, let's talk about like the, the, the market sizes. So if you were to take corporate and small business card uh, spending in the US, the general estimate is if you kind of glob those two markets together is that there's about $1.3, $1.4 trillion uh, per year that are put on these kind of cards. Um, through the um, the announcement, we learned that Divi, uh, Divi's volume is about $4 billion per year, um, which is it's awesome. It's exciting. And I think it, it, it proves that even a uh, four or five-year-old company can really go and um, put on a lot of the market. Put differently, however, um, if you were to take 4 billion, divide, you know, um, the, the 1.3 trillion figure, you get to, uh, you know, a fraction of a percent um, of, of what that market represents. So these are not exactly, um, it, it's interesting for the shape of the curve, um, but this is not like a giant portion of the market is suddenly merging with another giant portion. Next, you take bill.com. Obviously, they're they're a, uh, a large business. They, they have a large distribution. They're operating in a market, which is, I think, about 100 $20 trillion per year is on ACH and check and just general B2B payments. And so even for them, it's it's a far way to go. And so um, to, to your question of, do I think there's a large market with many players? I'd say, yeah, I, I, you know, um, Amex is um, big in the corporate card market. There's big players in, in ACH. There's even today multiple um, truly um, uh, beyond industrial scale uh, winners and players. And so I, I think historically that's been the case. And I, I think in the future, there's going to be a lot of uh, winners in this space. That makes sense. Go ahead, Lindsay. I can see it chomping at the bit. So, so as Freddie says, another one bites the dust. <laughs> it's uh, like I, I, mergers are, are very complicated. I, I, that, <laughs> oh, you've been a part of one. You know that intimately. I've been a part of you. <laughs> like it's, it's crazy. Like I um, yeah. um sold sold a company when we were at Capital One. Um, we bought a company called Wikibuy. A year later, PayPal bought Honey, the yeah. biggest competitor. Like I've seen kind of all sides of it, and there's examples where it totally works. It's really amazing. Um, I think there's another stat in M and A. Something like seventy percent of all murders are value destructive. Um, you know, maybe this beats the odds. Wow. Um, yeah, I, what I would say is like it's really complicated when you have like like you have multi hundred person companies that are coming together. You have strategic ideas for how this could work, and then it's like even go down to the business level. It's like great. You have that like ten thousand businesses, a hundred thousand businesses. Whose accounting integration is better? Which one do you use? Um, great. Do you take the same one? Whatever. Does it show up in the UI? How do you think about the merging experiences? And I think that the um, on the earnings call yesterday, um, they talked a lot about a major focus of this is cross-sell, um, which I think is like a great um, focus. And I think you can go and, and go from Bill.com's monetization of spend is very, very low. Divi's is relatively higher. You can probably grow the business. I think the more interesting question is, 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 is how do the products come together from a user perspective? Does this feel like, you know, very natural or not? And I, I guess what I would say just to point to how hard this is, is like, I'd even take like Facebook or, you know, WhatsApp and Instagram there's still different logins by and large, like there's still different product experiences and that's taken years. And this is a pretty sophisticated um, tech company as far as they go. Um, and I think it just speaks to how complicated of a product challenge is going to be ahead for everybody. 
Yeah, the cross-sell opportunity is super interesting because back in, in February when I was paying attention to the prior earnings call, what I what stood out to me about Build.com is really they were going up market and sort of white labeling their software to, to like a JP Morgan, but I wouldn't see them using a Divi because Divi's model is sort of built for, for more ambiguous businesses. And it's really hard for a small business to get a JP Morgan checking account. That's why Bank Mercury, Novo, and all these other SMB focused re sort of checking accounts exist. So I'm I'm very curious to see how they cross sell. And when you said it, actually, it seemed to me like Divi would cross sell Bill.com rather than Bill.com cross selling Divi. And does that alienate yeah. people? That's I mean, I you know, we we live in a world of cross selling that sometimes doesn't end up that great. Holla Wells Fargo, holla holla. But you know, there's a, it's a slippery slope there depending on, it's a, it's a lot of money to spend to potentially cross sell something that doesn't land or actually creates churn or is value destructive, as you said. I think there's, I mean, and for me, there's three, there's at least three parts of it that are like very fascinating. Like one is, is obviously first and foremost, just the consumer side of it. Like this might be great from a business metrics and like financial engineering at its best. Um, from a consumer product perspective, I'll go ahead and give you my bias, which is like, I, I think that for a business, a business doesn't really care how it's built. They care what it does for them yeah. um, and how well, like how efficient and smooth the experience is. And I think, um, like, I, I, I think it speaks to this, this notion in the business world of consolidation of payments and an all-in-one solution as being an important. And we happen to think that at, at least at Ramp, if you have these systems built natively together, you're going to get that much richer and smoother experience. Happy to talk about that. Next, I, I think in the context of Bond, um, I think one of the, the notions is like, part, like, this is a partnerships business. How do you yep. go and build common infrastructures? And competitively, something that's, you know, a, a big trade-off is, um, suddenly bill.com, which has been kind of Switzerland, um, vis-a-vis the banks has a product that is kind of competitive to some of its biggest distribution partners. Um, is that a good thing? Does that actually close them off in some ways from, from distribution? Does that take that out? And then last, if we can go deeper down the financial engineering perspective, I think at IPO, um, a year and a half ago, something like that, um, bill.com was valued at $2.5 billion. Um, you know, now, you know, let's say it's at, I think it's close to 12. Um, you know, uh, this this transaction was 625 million in cash, uh, 1.8 billion in stock, or 1.9 just about. Um, Divi is bringing, um, I think, 120, 100 ish million dollars of its own cash. So really, it's it's half a billion dollars in cash out the door. The rest is of stock of less than what an IPO is just a, a small part of it. So in a way, it didn't really need to spend that much to go pick it up. And this could align a lot of markets. But um, I think it just speaks to how when your stock is trading at such a multiple you can pick up others that aren't trading at that um, and just get a business for free. So um, a lot of ways we can take it. Curious what you're most, you think would be most interesting, but this deal is fascinating for a whole host of reasons. Of reasons, yeah. Cap- capital markets are trading right now. They're they're riding high on these. It, they've got the extra cash. They can buy something. And then it, it's like the, it was, it didn't happen because they can offset. And then also they can, they can raise debt at basically zero. So and bill.com had raised cash. So they had the cash and this was what they did with it. So it's, it's pretty incredibly timed. I think just from like an acquisition standpoint, they bought a tech company and they can, it can, it can exist as a, as a brand on its own and it can, it can be a business. Hopefully they can integrate it and obviously do more with each other, but to the, 
to the point about failure, it's interesting because if you look back at M&A, typically of like financial institutions, they don't buy fintech companies. That's yeah. something that people didn't quite get. It's because they have to hold the same amount of of cash for the investment on the balance sheet is goodwill. Mm-hmm. That's, and so it's much trickier for them to get behind putting a billion dollars versus half a billion aside to, to buy this thing. So it's, it's a very interesting time that we are in. Does Bill, do you think bill.com, like if we talk to their CEO, do you think they would consider themselves a FinTech quote yes. unquote? Yeah. Of course. H- hence Goldman the, Sachs does. Right, okay. right, right. That was a silly question. That was a silly Marcus question. is Marcus is ripping though. So <laughs> <laughs> this this is not untrue. Uh, even though all of their employees are somewhere on a beach waiting to go work for Walmart, but we don't have to talk about that. We can we can stick to this specific conversation. Eric, unpack a little bit more of that uh, kind of siloed versus single single payment platform kind of a thing. Like, what do you think? What do you think the future holds as far as that? goes because it seems like there's a very distinct fork there that you were kind of hinting at a little bit in your previous answer. Yeah. So it's, um, think about this. So from the perspective of a, of a business, no matter how cash goes out the door, um, whether it's by wire, whether it's someone's by check, by cash, by credit card, by debit card, there's lots of ways that it can, that it can go out. Somehow at the end of the day, you're, um, you know, it's going to be the end of the month and your account's going to say, this needs to go somewhere in, in our general ledger. Um, who spent it? Why were they given um, permission to spend it? Were there any approvals? Um, and where does this go? Were there receipts for it? All this, and this needs to happen every month, um, you know, for any business of, of any meaningful scale. And one of the biggest, I, I would say, pain points that people have is this question of like hierarchy. Like, where where do people sit in the organization? Accounting, which um, um, a department do you build this to? Um, collections of receipts and all that. And over the past five years, as things have gotten disaggregated um, more and more, it means that you're doing this problem five times and some systems are good, others are totally awful. And I think that a, a desire among a lot of finance teams that we talk to is actually like, can you just like make one of these systems go away? Like, like we hear, I think it was like nine out of 10 of our customers have said like, could you do bill.com next? Like the UI is, is, is not super great. The accounting integrations are they are. And we'd really like if we could like do that form of payment, but here. And so there's a lot of advantage of even just business processes, um, keeping track of employees based on where they report in, in HR accounting integrations, where if you can actually bring the payments and abstract that layer away and make sure the software experience on top of it is really good, that would be that would be excellent. And so I, I, I think that there's a lot of, um, I, I think one of the, the big strategic reasons to bring this together is not just financial, but even just from an experience perspective. Um, you know, I think that a lot of businesses are saying like, um, make my life easier. If you can make the workflow of running this business easier, I, I'd like to buy this product. Yeah. And with the time that we have left, I'd love for you to take us through some of the plans that you have for 2021, the product roadmap. I think some of the things are really cool about moving from, you know, in-person to a hybrid remote working style is the ability to like issue limited point cards over the internet. Just, Hey, you don't even need a physical card. If you're just going to be purchasing one-off things, like, can we do something where we're giving you a card with a limited scope and it's only digital? 
Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that on, on, on ramp is, is interesting. I think that like 90% of the cards we ever issued plus are, are virtual. Uh, many of these are one time um, we're the only player in the market where you have true category or even merchant specific cards. So only Uber, for example, can go and charge um, a card. You can have cards that expire uh, yeah. next week on Tuesday at 5 PM. And after that, it can't be used with deep accounting integrations. And so I think a lot of the, um, you know, history of ramp has been building like intuitive UI, great controls, great accounting automations, having the form of payments done right and, and all that. I, I think that over the course of this year, um, things that are coming up and ahead are um, a bit of an open secret, but more forms of payment, um, not just cards, but um, other forms that you, you might see like ACH. Um, um, a lot RTP, of come on, RTP. Yes, um, that too. Real-time payments. <laughs> exactly, real-time payments. So yes, um, that is pretty deep and, 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 and happy, happy to go deeper there. Um, a lot around um, um, actual just savings. Um, that was the world we came from um, in things working before, saving into the nine figures per, per year for consumers. Uh, and we think there's a lot of opportunity. There's a lot of price discrimination in the market. Businesses are getting charged different rates for the same sets of software. Um, and we think that there's a lot that Ramp can do um, to go and actually help companies. And so at least so far, um, we save the average company about five days per month on their month end close. Um, so we speed up, we, we save a lot of time and we save an extra one and a half percent um, to 3% mm -hmm. on top of the cash back through savings and savings. We, yeah. We can take that way up. That's awesome. Well, I think that both Atomic and, and Bond should be using them if we haven't already. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I certainly know that being a fully remote person in a different state, the complexity is just about running our own payroll system. So there's, there's work to be done for all of us. Zach, any closing thoughts? Well, I mean, I think your, your previous point is very interesting. My closing thought actually has nothing to do with this conversation other than I'm curious about your shirt, Eric. It's a uh, very like Shaolin Wu-Tang kind of vibe. Like it looks like somebody's doing some Kung Fu. And does this mean you're now a wartime CEO? Uh, <laughs> he already was a wartime CEO. He survived an incumbent integration. We're we're we're, we're coming out of it. It's uh, the pandemic was a crazy year to go and and, and uh, you know be scaling this thing. I think uh, let's go with it. There, there's there's some swordsmen. There's some more times, but we'll have some cartoonish too. We're we're, we're trying to have some fun as well. So. There you go, man. Yeah, I mean, I've I've we've never met before, but it's been a blast talking to you. Like you very clearly are enjoying what you're doing every day, and very clearly getting out of bed to solve a big problem. So I respect it, and I'm glad we got to do this. Lindsay, other closing thoughts outside of my horrendous uh, horrendous wartime CEO joke. No, respect. Uh, Eric, thank you so much for joining us and hopping in on this. And, and hopefully we'll be talking about the successful integration because we want all fintech to succeed because we're all in this on the right side of history. It's a big market and Wu-Tang forever. All right. <laughs> this is great. Thank you.